Tonight's reading is taken from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 34. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus, came, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all, all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, this is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had, women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went, to, went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began, it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two, of, two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. Fantastic worship this evening, such a sense of the presence of God. And let's just stay in that place. The presence of God is for every, every part of our lives, not just corporate worship. So let's just sink into that tangible presence of God. Let's start by praying. Jesus, we welcome your precious precious presence this evening. You are so worthy to be worshipped. You are so worthy to be adored. We worship you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We pray that you would be with us tonight, that you would touch us tonight. 
Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Let us just rest in your arms of love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So our passage is the really well-known story of the road to Emmaus, where we join two disciples of Jesus, Cleopas and possibly Mary, his wife, walking away from Jerusalem, walking away from the wreckage of the last few days, away from the horrors of the crucifixion and the loss of their beloved master, away from the pain and the disappointment. They put all of their hopes into someone who had been brutally killed, and now they were crushed and confused. They didn't understand why Jesus had died or what would happen next. They'd heard from the women that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was alive. When others checked their story, yes, the tomb was empty, but they saw no sign of Jesus. So they didn't yet believe. For these two disciples, it made no sense. For them, he was gone, and they were in darkness and grief. Some of you at different times in life may have experienced a similar darkness or crushing or disorientation, perhaps following a bereavement or a really serious illness or a betrayal that's left you completely heartbroken, pain that's perhaps caused you to walk away from what you once thought you knew. But it's in that exact place, it's in that very place that Jesus wants to visit us. The first gift that God gives Cleopas and Mary in this new season is simply this. It's the presence of Jesus. That's the very best God can give anyone. The two disciples were walking through the fires of affliction, but there is no fire too strong for the presence of Jesus. There is no wound too deep for him. So Jesus starts ministering to Cleopas and Mary, walking with them and comforting their hearts. I've learned myself over the years that the very first thing we should do in any crisis or heartbreak is get into the loving arms of Jesus. There is no pain or loss or loss that cannot be touched by him. There is no wound too deep for him. If you draw close, he will start to give your heart exactly what it needs in that moment. If you're suffering, come before Jesus. Lean into his presence. Pour out your heart to him because he will meet you there. R.C. Sproul wrote this, the one place where the Christian can be naked, emotionally, without fear, is in the presence of Christ. I've had a number of different and um, significant times of struggle in my life, wounds to my heart, periods of pain, things that had the potential to knock me completely off course, but I can say with absolute conviction that whenever I have chosen to come into the presence of Jesus, his healing touch and his love have always been enough. There is no pain or heartbreak or darkness that cannot be touched by him. There is no pit too deep that Jesus cannot lift you out of. But the danger 
is that we don't always come to him. Sometimes we turn to counterfeits, to fleshly comforts and distractions instead of Jesus. When wounds ache, we withdraw. That's our natural instinct. The barriers go up and internal pain often seeks pleasure as an anesthetic. So we bury ourselves in other things. Even innocent pleasures can become an attempted substitute for the presence of Jesus. There are times when I've not felt like bringing my pain and loss before Jesus. I've been too raw, so I've just shirked back. There was one season in my life where I actually tried to avoid God for several weeks because of what I was going through, and all he got from me was what I call courtesy prayers. Just little prayers, but no real, no real fellowship, no real opening up to him. I was basically on the run. And towards the end of that season, the Holy Spirit gave me a picture of Jesus standing in front of an empty chair with tears rolling down his face. And as soon as I saw the chair, I knew that I was meant to be in it, and Jesus was so grieved that I wasn't in front of him, I wasn't sitting before him. I'd gone missing because my pain had kept me on the run from his presence. If you are in a season of struggle, Don't run from Jesus in your pain. Don't flee Jerusalem. The disciples had been told to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. That was where the church was going to be birthed, the gospel preached, where history would be made, where the fire was going to fall. It would be all hands on deck. But these two on the road to Emmaus were walking away from all of that. Their pain had put them out of position I have personally seen over the years so many Christians missing out on what God has for them because of unhealed pain and running away. But don't let your pain put you out of position. Whatever you are going through, get into the presence of Jesus and let him minister life to you. So the two disciples on that road to Emmaus, they were first given the gift of the presence of Jesus. They didn't recognize him at first. They didn't grasp his identity, but their hearts burned within them as they walked with him. Their eyes were closed, but their hearts were starting to wake up to his presence. Their hearts were crying out, it's him. Can't you see? It's him. Sometimes our hearts recognize Jesus long before our minds have figured things out. And this is the only place in scripture I know of where it says the disciples' hearts burned. They loved seeing the miracles of Jesus, the signs and the wonders, but their hearts didn't burn at those, excited as they were. Their hearts only burned by being in the presence of Jesus. There is no substitute for the presence of Jesus. There is no one like him. There is nothing on earth or in heaven like the beauty of his presence. There is nothing sweeter. There is nothing more satisfying. If you've been through a dark season and you want your heart to burn and come alive again, if you want your soul to pass from winter to springtime, then position yourself in the presence of Jesus. So the disciples, they needed him. They also needed understanding of what had taken place, what really had happened to their savior. What about the redemption of Israel from the Romans? 
Many had anticipated the coming Messiah as conquering redeemer, not suffering servant. They associated him with a crown, not a cross, yet it hadn't played out that way. So on this journey to Emmaus, these two disciples were speaking of Jesus as prophet, not Messiah. And they were speaking of Jesus in the past tense, not realizing he was alive and walking with them. So Jesus had to become their rabbi again and unpack the scriptures which spoke of him. The Old Testament is a portrait of Jesus and he took them on a whirlwind tour. He may have spoken of how he was like the slain Passover lamb, his blood protecting his people from God's judgment on the Egyptians. Or perhaps he spoke of how he was the sin offering in the temple where sin was symbolically placed upon a lamb that would then be slain to atone for sins or the scapegoat on the day of atonement, the sins of the whole nation placed upon it before it was driven out of the camp, outside the city walls to die like Jesus. Or the messianic prophecies found in Isaiah and Amos and Zechariah and the Psalms and other places stating how Jesus was foreordained to die in our place before being raised to glory. The whole of scripture is a story of grace knitted together by the scarlet thread of Jesus' blood and these truths washed over the disciples, opening their hearts and their minds. It's really important what voices we listen to and where we get our understanding from, who we do our theology with. The first theological conversation in scripture between Adam, Eve, and the serpent was held outside of the direct presence of God. And it led to the tragedy of the fall. Death and deception was its fruit. But this theological conversation on the road to Emmaus was conducted in the presence of Jesus. And it led to truth and life. Be careful what voices you listen to. The voice of the serpent wants us bound in darkness, but the voice of Jesus will always lift our countenance. If you're grappling with hard choices or processing a difficult season or struggling with theological questions, bring those questions into the presence of Jesus and let him unlock the word for you. You don't read it alone. You read it in relationship, leaning into his voice. Search for your answers in his presence. There have been times for me when one answer, one word, one picture, one whisper from God has altered my entire perspective. All it takes is one word. So they are walking, they're heading to Emmaus, their perspective is starting to change. And Jesus is showing the disciples who he is. And together they reach Emmaus, and Jesus starts just walking on without them. He starts just going his own way, just, just wandering off. But the disciples absolutely insist. They urged him strongly, as the text says, stay with us, Jesus. Or in some translations, abide with us. There was no way they were going to let him leave now. So they insisted, they absolutely insisted on the presence of Jesus. Sometimes in life, Jesus just shows up, like on the road to Emmaus. 
Sometimes in church, it feels like Jesus has just shown up. And sometimes in personal prayer times, he just shows up. You have an encounter, a visitation. You feel for a moment the touch of Jesus. But at other times, you may feel like Jesus has stepped back. Perhaps he feels like he's passed by, he's walking on, he's wandered off. That's not for his lack of love. It's in order to test ours. The question posed is, how much do we want him? How much do we want him? The disciples would not pass, would not part with him. They insisted upon his presence. So Jesus responded to their longings and came home with them. In John 14, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, the Father and I will make our home with them. The disciples had experienced a visitation from Jesus on the road to Emmaus, but they wanted more. They didn't want one moment of visitation. They wanted habitation. They wanted an ongoing experience of the abiding presence of Jesus. They wanted a deeper level of intimacy. Jesus will abide with any of us to the degree our longing and our loving invite him to. Sometimes he comes to us on our journey, but at other times we have to insist he stays. And if we graciously insist upon his presence in our lives, then we can move from visitation to habitation. Even under the Old Testament, they had this choice. After the Israelites wrongfully worshipped the golden calf, God said to Moses, I'm going to give you an angel, and he will guide you to the promised land. But I'm not going with you, because you chose the calf. You know, Moses could have been content with that. I mean, he was getting an angel. It sounds good to me. And he'd had so many powerful visitations from God, but Moses wanted more than that. He wanted habitation, not visitation. He wanted that abiding presence. So God tells Moses, we're not taking a step forward unless your presence goes with us. We're not moving forward without your habitation among us. We will wait on you, God, until you're ready to move with us. We won't break camp until the cloud moves. We won't let Jesus walk on without us. We must have your abiding presence. I'm reminded of King David, who years later would cry out something similar to God, do not take your presence from me. You know, there's a place in prayer where we are allowed or even encouraged to contend for more of God. Sometimes in prayer, if you feel a touch from God, wait on him for more. Sometimes you pray and God's presence lifts, he takes a step back, and it feels just like a natural conclusion to the prayer time. But if you, in, if you tarry, if you insist upon the presence of Jesus, then in time his presence will flood back in more strongly than before. Sometimes we receive easily from God, at other times there's a wrestling. Sometimes the fruit just falls off the tree into your hand, but at other times you have to shake the tree. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is received like a little child 
You just open up your hands and he puts something in it. But he also said that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advanced and the forceful lay hold of it. I mean, those things sound contradictory. I mean, which is it? How do we receive the kingdom? Do we receive the kingdom like a little baby drinking its mother's milk? Or do we violently kick the door down and seize everything Christ died for us to obtain? Well, it's, it's either, depending on the context and the season. On the road to Emmaus, the disciples received like little children. Everything they needed was just dropped into them as Jesus walked with them and comforted them. But when they insisted on Jesus staying with them, they were forcefully laying hold of the kingdom. And because they did this, they obtained a greater level of his presence. They went from walking side by side to feasting face to face. So let's yearn for the presence of Jesus. Let's burn with desire for him until we experience a deeper abiding, a deeper habitation. So Jesus responds to their hearts. He comes home with them. He abides with them. The conversation continues. A meal is prepared. And then when Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes were opened. They finally see that their companion is none other than Jesus himself, their savior, their master, their Messiah, their friend. On the road, they had learned about the breaking of his body on the cross. Now in the symbolic breaking of bread, they saw the one who had been broken for them. Now they knew for themselves that Jesus was alive. The apostle Paul wrote this, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's true as we become Christians, and it remains true always. The more deeply we turn to the Lord, the more of him we see. Pursuing the presence of Jesus always leads to an opening of our spiritual sight and deeper revelations of him. This is the journey we're all invited into. Walking, feasting, and learning to see Jesus through the eyes of our heart. This is key to our faith. You know, the central message of Christianity is not behave, it's behold. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he cried out to his followers, behold the lamb. We're called to behold and gaze upon Jesus as he opens our eyes to who he is. I want to encourage all of us tonight to get in the presence of Jesus as often as we can and gaze upon him. The more you gaze, the more you see. Don't let busyness stop you from pressing in to see more of Jesus. I once saw a car bumper sticker which read, Jesus, Jesus is coming, look busy. Uh, it's so easy to feel that way, but beholding the sun is more important than looking busy for him. Madame Guyon, a French mystic, wrote this, so often it is our activities that obstruct our union with him. If we want to see Jesus in a deeper way, then we have to take our time in prayer, get in his presence and learn to behold him. Gaze upon him and adore him. He is the worthy one. He is the most Precious one. 
Thomas Merton said, the soul wants to see in order to love. All we need to do is look. And by looking, we love. The more you see, the more you love. And the more you love, the more you see because love opens our eyes. Jesus wants to set our hearts on fire and open our eyes. He wants to meet us eye to eye, face to face, in the secret place. And this is all done by faith. A.W. Tozer said, wherever faith has eyes to see, there is the smiling presence of the Son of God. The Son smiles upon us and lifts our countenance. My child of Magdeburg, a German holy woman from the 1200s wrote this, you should always look fixedly on your beloved whom you desire, for he who gazes on what he desires becomes ardently enkindled. Ardently enkindled. Christianity is having a burning heart and gazing deeply upon the one who loves us. So the disciples welcomed the presence of Jesus and they're given the gift of seeing him. But then, once recognized, he disappears from their visible sight. It's quite a plot twist. Perhaps they were disappointed, but they had nothing to worry about. He would always be with them. He hadn't abandoned them. Jesus just didn't want them to rely on his bodily presence. He didn't want them to cling on to his resurrected body. It's why he told Mary Magdalene in the garden tomb, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus wouldn't be physically present for much longer. His ascension beckoned. So he had to teach his disciples how to follow him by faith and see him with the eyes of his heart. Unbelief needs to see in the flesh, but faith sees in the spirit. They would have to learn to recognize his presence through their burning hearts and learn afresh how to hear his voice and see him. They would have to master relationship with Jesus in the spirit rather than through bodily presence. And it's the same for us. We must learn to discern the presence of Jesus, hear the voice of Jesus, feel the love of Jesus and experience him in our hearts. And we walk with him using our spiritual senses. If the worship team could come up. I want to suggest this evening that the depth of intimacy and the height of encounter we have available with Jesus is beyond what any of us could imagine. It's always a danger to think that we've arrived to think this is it. But I'm convinced there is more of God to apprehend than we can possibly grasp. So much more of him to encounter for all of us. A deeper abiding that we can each contend for. A daily living out of the manifest presence of Jesus moment by moment by moment. Our passage ends with the two disciples returning the way they came to tell others of their encounter with Jesus. He had restored their souls and restored the trajectory of their lives. So they went back the way they came. They returned to Jerusalem where more encounters awaited and more fire was shortly going to fall. They had no doubts now. They knew that Jesus was alive. 
His words were true, and he was with them.